0: I really believe, I told John, I, I'm, I'm really convinced about the word that I felt the Lord gave me. I, I feel it's a word that God wants to speak to us as a congregation. And I think God wants to lift us to a new level, if I can say that, in our devotion of Him. Um, the one word that, I, that came to mind was the word radical. And I saw this book in our bookshelf, and we're one of those people with a lot of books they're not all red, you know, it just looks pretty. Um, and one of these books that looks pretty, there in the bookshelf that we haven't read. The title is Radical. And I thought it's probably a youth book. And I took it out and it wasn't. And I realized that to some degree, the word radical has became, it's become something of a youth word to us. And I wonder, I was a student and a teenager, and I, I thought to myself, was this word just one of the, you know, fancy... Happening words then because we, I was young <laughs> and I was a student. Or was there an era a couple of years ago where the word radical was quite a word often used? But I haven't heard it quite often in church anymore. And I wondered, is it COVID? Is it because many of us had kids? And is it because of the demand of life? Is it because we want to be politically correct and people are so easily offended these days that the church have become less radical why i know we want to be wise i'm not speaking about stupidity and foolishness i'm speaking about radical devotion to jesus what has happened to that um because i mean i I know social media there's some weird people and they say weird stuff i'm not speaking about that i'm not speaking about radical and you wild and all over the show i'm speaking about a radical devotion to jesus What has happened to that? And I believe God wants to come and stimulate something of that in our hearts and lives. That we're a radical people, radically devoted to Him. I mean, let's forget a moment about devoted to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and things like that. Let's just come and, just for a moment, pause and consider Him. Devoted to Him. Because all the other stuff will flow from that. Are we radically devoted to Him? I want to speak, the title of the sermon is called Dove's Eyes. And um, the thing about dove's eyes is they are, um, they've got a singular focus. So they focus on one thing, not many things. And I believe God wants to cause us to have dove's eyes. Chameleon eyes, on the other end, they can go 360, each of them. <laughs> so they're all over the show. And the chameleon can see something on this side, see something on that side, and eventually... The reason they've got it like that is that they can look for their prey all over the show. And if they find their prey, then their eyes lock into that and they focus. I think sometimes we've got chameleon eyes. We focused on Jesus and we focused on that and this and all the other things. And Jesus is just one of the things that gets our attention and our focus. We're a singular vision, focused on one thing. I believe God wants to call us to have... Dove's eyes. There's a story about Napoleon, um, not Napoleon Dynamite, the other one, Napoleon uh, Bonaparte, or something like that, eh? Um, did you hear my French accent there? <laughs> huh? the, um, so he asked one of the artists, um, Den Ecker, to do a sculptural painting of the goddess Venus for the, is it the Louvre? The Louvre, 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 Louvre. Louvre. the art the art uh, museum in France and then the painter declined and said I'm not going to do it and then they offered quite a impressive fee for for his work and the artist still said I'm not going to do it so obviously this is Napoleon he was highly offended and he wanted to sort out this guy and he asked the guy to come and ask why did you decline my my request and he said well I've finished painting Christ, and I can't bring my brush to paint anything else, because all will be less than what I've made. I thought a powerful statement, you know, this artist, and apparently he spent, some of the stuff vary, but it's between six or eight years he spent doing the painting of Christ. And what he did after years of doing this, just painting this and devoting himself to this, he brought his little daughter in to come and watch it. And his daughter came in and she looked at this and, like, she clapped her hands and, like, wow, what an amazing man. And the artist, Deneke, were cut to the heart and said, oh, I failed. And basically just brushed over everything and just messed it up. It's like, I've got to start over again. Because how dare I just paint a good man? I need to paint Christ. And apparently he was praying about it and spent time with the Lord and the Lord showed him visions and things. So like so he felt that he failed when his daughter just said, what an amazing man. And then he painted again. Spent years again devoting himself to this. And then he called his daughter again. Obviously a bit older then. And when his daughter came in again, she looked at it and her eyes started to fill up with tears. And she quoted that scripture where Jesus said, do not hinder the children from coming to me. And he said when he saw that reaction, he knew he got it right. And so all of our lives reflect something of the image of Christ. When people see us, do they just see an amazing man or a good religion? Or do they have an encounter with a living Jesus? Sherman spoke, and if you haven't listened to Sherman's message Get. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's on the website, but we'll make sure it's available that you can get it and listen to it. It was phenomenal. Um, I wasn't there, but I listened to it. And I felt there's something that the Lord wants to come and do. He wants us to strip off and throw off things. And secondly, get our focus and our attention back on Him with Dove's eyes. Where we focus on Him and we reflect Him. Scripture speaks about... Um, John, will you just go to the slides? Otherwise, I'm going to... Perfect. Um, Go quickly, go to the next verse. It says, with unveiled faces, we are beholding him, reflecting his glory with unveiled faces. So scripture speaks, is it stuck? (laughs) There we go. (laughs) This is in the Bible. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, with unveiled face, beholding him, we are reflecting him. And if we're speaking about a radical reflection, it's got to start with a radical looking and a radical devotion to Him. It says, and we're all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into His image. Another translation said, we're reflecting. Quickly go back to the next verse. We run this race. This is one of the verses Sherman shared last week. Um, running this race, throwing off. There's a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. We run this race with perseverance, fixing our eyes. On Jesus, Both those words, beholding and fixing, is a doing word. It's a verb. We've got to do something. It's not just going to happen naturally. We've got a flesh that won't do it. (laughs) Our flesh won't naturally focus on Jesus. Our flesh won't naturally be devoted to Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes. We've got to behold. And the fixing gets you the idea of actually turning something, fitting it properly, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word speaks about attentively looking at him. And as we do that, we'll reflect something of Jesus. So when people encounter us, it won't just be a memory of something good, but they'll encounter the living Jesus. Song of Solomon, it says um, the, the lover, the man, the picture of Jesus, um, he's speaking and to the beloved, his bride. The bright picture of us, the church. And he says, Beloved, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And he's speaking to her because the focus was solely on him. And he said, You've got a singular focus on me. If Jesus would speak to each one of us now, what will he say? Will he say, My beloved, my fair one, you've got dove's eyes? Or will he say, You've got chameleon eyes? (laughs) You're all over the show. (laughs) Get your focus back on me. You see, our walk, our Christian walk, has everything to do with our sight. Nothing else. Not our legs, not our intentions, not our theology. It's our sight. If we focus on Him, if we are beholding Him, we will reflect. And I think more than ever, a radical devotion will lead to a radical reflection of Jesus. And the world needs Jesus now more than ever. More than ever. Colossians 1 verse 15. We're going to, for this season, just preach out of the book of Colossians. Really feel that Andrew, um, I shared a video clip where Andrew spoke about deception in the world and the teaching coming into the church. One of them, a humanistic teaching that elevates man above Jesus. And one of the things he said is, for the next season, we need to make sure that we elevate and exalt Jesus in our teaching and everything that we do, so that our focus will be on him. And um, the book of Colossians, Paul wrote, because the church had all these extra Antichrist teachings coming into the life of the church. And Paul's like, I've got to do something. I'm going to write this letter to make sure that all these Antichrist teachings, these little things, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus the angels, Jesus plus this, doesn't get the church off course. So I'm going to write them a letter and elevate Jesus above everything. And then he writes this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church and he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that, everything that, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Christ is supreme. He's above everything else. What does that mean? We had a whole discussion as eldership. What does that mean? And we believe it's, it's that Christ is above all. He's above all. He's got to be first in your life and not just first. He's got to be In all and above all in your life. Can you can have Jesus first and he can be separate from your marriage and your work life and your manhood and your womanhood and your singlehood? Or Jesus can be in every single thing of that, every aspect of your life. Jesus must be above all and in all. Number one. So he's supreme. Another thing that it refers to is that he is the measuring, he is the standard. What does that mean? Is that we build our life on Jesus. When builders build, they've got a plumb line, and that's the standard, and they build everything on that. Jesus' has got to be the standard that we build everything on. Our church needs to be built on Jesus, not fancy worship, not fancy fellowship. We can't be the fellowship church that does community well. We need to be a Jesus church. And from that point, through the life of the Holy Spirit, we reflect everything of Jesus. So he's the plumb line. Everything in our life needs to be measured on Him. But we sometimes measure our life on other things. What's the standard of the world? What is the world's view on success? We sometimes, I, I recently were at a sports day at our School, um, there had at athletics. And um, it was quite entertaining watching the little ones do their dash, their 100 meters or the 60 meter dash. Because all of them started off in their lane. And then some of the really, really committed guys started running off course. And they're off their lane and they're looking at one another. And the one's running over the other one. The one is tripping the other one. And eventually some of them finish. (laughs) Some of them finish in a whole different lane because they were looking sideways and they're all over the show. And I remember I was taught by my dad, when you run, you just look in front of you. Because that will set your course. Don't worry about those around you. Even if they're ahead, you just focus. You might get some, you might pass them. We might not pause them, but at least you're finishing your lane. And um, I think some of our Christianity is that. We're running and we're looking all over the show and we think this is a measuring. This is a good standard. I've got to be at this age in this house or I've got to have this done. or I can only do this in my life when this happens. But that's the wrong measuring. We've replaced our plumb line with something else other than Jesus. And this scripture is calling us back to that where Jesus is the standard and the plumb line. And we're radically devoted to that. Why else are we here? (laughs) Why else are we here if we don't want to build our lives radically on Jesus? So today in the rest of the sermon, I want to speak about the sin that we need to throw off is when we build our lives on something else than Jesus, or we compare our life, or compare, or we measure our life to other things than Jesus. Because I don't want to speak about sins like the sexual sin and alcohol, um, alcoholism and addictions and things like that. I think that's the obvious ones. I think the one that we probably struggle the most as a congregation are the subtle ones. Where we're that one degree off course. We think we're fine because we still see Jesus. But in a couple of years' time, we'll be far off course. I think those are the things that we need to throw off this afternoon, and probably which we are in danger most is those subtle little things. Some of us, I've heard these things, are way too busy. Our kids are so busy, which causes us to be busy, and we're not getting to God. And somehow, and I do understand. I really, I'm, I think I've got. To, I'm a person that have a lot of understanding for what people are going through. But somehow, we've made this little thing. I'm not getting to God an acceptable thing. We've made it an acceptable thing. Like it's, oh, I'm just struggling to get to God. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm struggling to get to God. I, I must be desperate. It's like, I must, like, I'm struggling to get to God. I'm, I'm, it's serious. If, if, if we don't have a culture where that's serious, we'll gradually move off course. There must be Grace. There must be understanding, there must be empathy, but we also need to understand that hey, then we're going to tug in and help every single one, because that excuse is problematic. Because then we say, Jesus, you are everything now and then. I'm not going to balance everything this afternoon. Is that fine? <laughs> I want to provoke us. I would, I'd really do want to provoke us um, to radical devotion to Jesus. Year alone satisfied, nothing else. And I'm preaching as someone that, that's been stirred by this message myself. Looking at my life, looking at where I compare. Um, sometimes I, I, my, my leadership in this church is not based on the measurement of Jesus Christ. I'm looking at other churches and other leaders. Like, how are they doing? Because if they're doing bad, it gives me a sense of success. So then I'm like, okay, I'm building a right, because at least I'm not messing up like that, guys. But that's wrong. It's like, ah, oh, Durbanville. Okay, let me just look at, ah, oh, this Josh and this congregation is struggling. That's sin. It needs to be thrown off. It's subtle, but it's sin. Because I find a sense of fake peace. But it's not the peace of Jesus. Like, Jesus, are you happy with what I'm doing here? And that must be the plumb line. That must be the measurement. Your life, is Jesus happy with the way you're conducting your family life, your life, your finances? Because he's got to be Lord of all. Otherwise, he's not Lord at all. That's, a, that's an American quote, eh? <laughs> he's not Lord of all. <laughs> he's not Lord of all. <laughs> <laughs> amen <laughs> uh, and Paul writes in Corinthians that beware of all these teachings and things because it will lead you astray from your sincere and pure devotion there's things in the world that come into the church little teachings and messages and things and, and thinking patterns that slowly but surely it's causing us to drift it's causing us to drift and I think it's the grace of God speaking about this today to bring us all back to the true north. Bring us all back. My heart drifts often, eh? often, often. Get too busy, not spending time with the Lord, and you run on yesterday's revelation. Um, forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. We're too busy, we struggle, we hold on to unforgiveness. Why do we hold on to unforgiveness? Because our, our thinking in our life is based on the wrong measurement, the wrong plumb line. Because we think it's okay to hold on to that. But actually, if it's built on Jesus, you'll let go of that unforgiveness as quickly as possible. Because the very essence of salvation is that He forgave you and you didn't deserve it. So if it's built on Him, you'll quickly forgive. Because that's your measurement, that's your plumb line. We compare, we get despondent quickly. Why do we get despondent? Because our focus is on other things. Because if it's on Jesus, irrespective of what we face, we'll have peace and joy. So the question is why? Why are we feeling this? Why are we thinking this? Why are we saying these things? And I want to present four screens. Four screens, because we're speaking about looking. And the thing about a screen, we're inundated with screens. But the screens doesn't give us the real We think it's the real, but it gives us something that can't fulfill. And I want to look at four screens. Um, Solutions, sin, security, and significance. And these are things that we look for. Because I I based it on what I felt in the Lord, and I based it on conversations that I've had over dinner tables and coffee tables with us, with, with people in the congregation. And these are normally things that cause us to look slightly away from Jesus. And that slightly away caused us to eventually, through the years, be far off. Um, and I felt that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And for some of us, these things are a way to Jesus. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But for some of us, these screens are the only way to Jesus. Because we're looking for solutions for what we face. We spend time with Jesus because we're looking for solutions. We want a sense of security, and that's our reason to Jesus. But Jesus must be all in all, above all, supreme. And from there, these things are addressed. But they're not the reason why I go to Jesus. And the reason this, it's, um, I believe all these things, there's a little false gospel teaching, and that's why we could think like this. So let's start with the first one, solutions. Many of us, We live our life, we're serving Jesus, chameleon eye eye on Jesus, and I, on, I need a solution for my life. I look at other people, I look at their suffering, and there's a sense of relief, like, okay, they at least also suffering, so that gives me reason not to fight and overcome this thing, because they're suffering, so I'm okay. So I'm not going to press in, because if I compare myself, I don't really have to. But what does Jesus say about that? Or you look at other people suffering and they just came out of it and somehow God delir- delivered them and you're like, why am I still here? And that feeling is legitimate, but if it feeling isn't brought to Jesus, then that's the problem because he's the plumb line. So Lord, I'm feeling despondent. Help me to process this because I want to look to you. I don't want to look at them and think they're okay now, but why am I not and get despondent and discouraged? Because when I go and reflect Jesus, I actually, or if I go out, I actually reflect despondency and irritation and defeatedness and not Jesus. Because I'm reflect, I'm beholding something else and I'm reflecting something else other than Jesus. The shared this. I thought this is a mic drop little thing. So I must actually just share this and finish up this sermon. This was this was really profound. She said, when Paul and Silas was in jail, in a place of suffering, they're sharing the gospel. I mean, they didn't do something, they, they're unrighteously in jail. They're sharing the gospel, they're in jail, they've been flogged, so they're in. They, they're a bloody mess. They're in jail, and they start praying and singing hymns. So Lizaldi said, the interesting thing is, when they prayed and sang hymns, God opened the prison doors, but they remained there. They weren't looking to be set free; they were just looking for him. A myth. isn't that profound? You actually read that, they, that the, the 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 um the God gets a panic; he wants to kill himself, and then Paul says, "No, don't worry, we still, yeah." And they lead that guy to Jesus and his whole family. The next day, they're still with him. The magistrate says, "Come here; let's release those guys." They didn't run off. Because that wasn't their focus. Their devotion was Jesus. Amidst the suffering, amidst the injustice, their devotion was Jesus. And what happened? Someone, our whole family got saved. Radical. So in our suffering and as we are looking for solutions, it's, it's okay to trust God for breakthrough. But make sure your eyes don't do this. Make sure your eyes do this. Because at one stage you've got to find him and then he will be enough amidst what you're going through. Next one, sin. Sometimes we become sin-focused. So we so like, hey, I need to get over this, get over this. I saw these little video clips at one stage where the kids have the marshmallow in front of them and the parent go away. And it said, you're not allowed to eat the marshmallow. And you see the little hand And the little and struggling. The kid's struggling, not because it's just focused on that. And it's a massive struggle. them, It was there and said, you can play. Focus on something else. You'll have it now in five minutes. The kid probably wouldn't have struggled this much because it wasn't focused on that. It was focused on something else. And a lot of our struggles maybe because we're so sin-focused. We, we need to be Jesus-focused. He sets us free. Not my effort. I don't need to focus on avoiding it. I need to... Submit to God and resist the devil. It's first him, then the other things flow. It's not first resist and then submit. It's first submit and then resist. All these things, all these screens cause us to look at others. So you look at someone else and are like, oh, they're at least still struggling with that thing. So I'm okay that I still struggle. I've heard these things said in coffees. Like, okay, okay at least they're struggling, so... So, you know, my, I'm not that bad, you know? <laughs> it's not like I'm, no, no, no. What is Jesus' will for you? What is Jesus' heartbeat for you? Because it's knowing him. If I speak about a radical devotion, it's, it's knowing him. His heartbeat, his thoughts. It's the person of Jesus. Um... Hey, I'm not as bad husband as that one. I've heard this a couple of times over coffees. You know, it's like, hey, I know I'm bad, but at least I'm not that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I know I'm a bad wife, but at least I'm not that. Why do we do that? Because we're little, kids running and looking around us. I just want to find some excuse. Like, like even Adam, like, oh, no, she did it. And it, you've got to deflect. But if we come to him, it's like, hey, oh, Lord, I know I'm a still a bad husband but please help me I want to I want to reflect you I want to reflect you so I'm coming to you I'm not going to worry if that guy is still bad I want to pray for him but I need I need you Jesus my family needs you this world needs you next one security we look for a sense of security and we work ourselves to platter just to have a sense of security but is, is that the real standard I told the many times people are faithful because they want to achieve something. They want, to, they want a sense of security. So they're really working hard and they see that as faithfulness. But the thing is, if you spend time with God, if you spend time with the Spirit, one of the fruit the Spirit will cultivate is faithfulness. So by default, if you spend time with Him, you will be faithful in your workplace. And if you're faithful, God will entrust you over more. But if our focus is I gotta get a career, I gotta establish myself, or I need to be make sure my future is secure, and that's the whole focus, and you work yourself to find it's a subtle little degree off, and that thing can take you away from your pure and sincere devotion. Subtle little thing. The faithfulness working hard is not the issue, but it's where's my focus? Where's my focus? Does that make sense? Where's my focus? We need to be faithful. We need to work hard. None of these things I'm saying, in essence, is the issue. The sin here is the devotion. It's the focus. That is the sin. Uh, and, and, and to prove this and, and really to illustrate this well, I'm not sure if the person is here today, but this, for a while now, I've just been connecting with a, with a person in the church that's really got a high-demanding job the person is working hard, um, sometimes need to work late in the mornings, um, sometimes really struggling to get at a lot of things, because this person is really working hard. It's a, it's a high-end job. The person's been promoted a couple of times over the course of the last two years. And so the and so, person really giving himself. But there was something amiss. His devotion to Jesus was zero. He said, you know, like, I know it wasn't five years ago, but I'm a different person, a different stage of my life now. And was almost finding an excuse for why the devotion was lacking, why the passion was lacking. And then something shifted. That person recently had a radical encounter with Jesus. That same person is in the same job, working the same hours. But what's coming out of that person is so much more of Jesus than a couple of months ago. And it wasn't his work that changed. He didn't leave his work to find Jesus. He just found him. And some, it's, it's a whole different story. guy weeping here when we meet. His family can see this person is opening up his life to others in this community. And there's a radical change. And it wasn't because he stopped. It was, his focus was missed. And he got it at the right place. He's still working some late hours. But suddenly now community is becoming more of a priority. Not because, hey, we need to be faithful to community. Because he's encountered something of Jesus. And now he wants to fellowship. And when past there wasn't time for community, now there is time. But he's doing exact same work with the exact same demand. Something shifted. And I'm speaking about that. So I don't want you to hear this is wrong or or kids are so busy with sport life and we're struggling to get in. That's wrong. It's not the sport that's the issue. It's not the busyness of the demands of life that's because I see sometimes with toddlers, Families with toddlers are extremely busy. And then you think, if we can just get through the toddlers years, it will be less busy. And then your kid starts with school and it's your first city And it's like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, whoa. <laughs> Is this ever going to get better? <laughs> it does it. When you're dead, <laughs> yeah, then we'll see him. But so that's not the issue. It's our it's like devotion to him. And when I saw, I, I look at this person's life and I'm like, God, you're amazing. Something, repentance had to come. Forgiveness, the person had to release things, and a shift came. Incredible to see. Um, and then lastly, significance and success. Why do we get offended when other people get promoted in the life of the church? Because we want a sense of significance. We want to feel important, so we're looking to others and if others are getting elevated, we get discouraged because our focus isn't on Jesus. Our focus is on being recognized, significance and success. Oh, some of us are working hard or neglecting our families because we need to prove something because we're looking at that. Signific- some of us are, are so insecure because we're looking at People's response to us? How do people accept me? I want to be significant. Are people acknowledging me when I put stuff on a community group and no one responds? I uh, saw so WhatsApp is going to do, you know, likes and hearts and little things that you do. So WhatsApp is launching an update that does that. Just think how wonderful it is. Instead of 10 thumbs up, it's just responses to the message. So it's not 20 messages, it's just one message with a lot of. That's going to be a game changer. <laughs> But you're putting something there and you're not getting any likes, you're not getting any responses, you're not getting any thumbs up or any prayer hands, you're not getting anything on your like, where's my prayer hands? I've opened them. Why do we get upset? Because we're looking for recognition and significance as opposed to, Lord, I want to share my heart. Whether people respond or not, I don't care. My devotion is to you. So you get people. And I encounter you and it's like, oh, no, I'm looking for a church again, because this, uh, what does that reflect? That doesn't reflect the radical Jesus. (laughs) You know why we struggle with things like solutions? Looking for solutions, because it's the gospel plus a better life. And that's one of the teachings that came into the church. Why are we so sin-focused? Because it's self-improvement gospel. A carnal gospel. We're looking for security and sense because of a gospel of Jesus plus. You know, improve you, find your identity. It's a carnal gospel. It's a me focus. It's a humanistic gospel. And then there's a fix me gospel, you know. It's like oh, I can come and God will fix me because I'm I'm a mess. No, it's it's just Jesus. And and my life is a mess. Whether I've made something of it already or not, it's it's it doesn't matter. My life a mess and I actually deserved death. I deserved the wrath of God. But Jesus on the cross bore all the wrath of the Father that I deserved. He paid the penalty for my sin. And I surrender my life to Him, the loving Father. Now I want to reflect Him and get others to see this wonderful Jesus. And that's the gospel. The gospel is I'm here because I don't deserve anything. Yet he's accepted me, he's adopted me into his family and made me new. You can go to the next little thing. So it's not Jesus first, it's Jesus above all. So my prayer is that our reflection of Jesus would increase. That we won't look to little screens and and be one degree off center. But that we'll see Jesus and that our devotion will be radically on him. The psalmist write here, uh, he writes and he says, As they make music, they will sing, All my fountains are in you. Singers and dancers and other translations alike say, All my springs are in you. It speaks about every aspect of our life. Every aspect is rooted in him. And he is the source of every aspect of my life. Every aspect of my life. Every aspect. I know some of you sitting here are faced with various things. Some are, are, it's hectic. You're going through heavy things. I'm looking at a couple like Barry and Linky. And Linky got treatment last year for, for cancer. And um, one can say, oh, they were so devoted. It's because they were. <laughs> but they weren't devoted out of theory or out of duty. So I think sometimes they might have. But their devotion not to Jesus was a thing that really stuck me it's through that whole thing they, they, they were devoted to jesus irrespective they didn't look for other things and i'm sure there was prayers god heal me do this but irrespective almost like the guy's been thrown into the fiery furnace and i'm going in now but whether god saves me or not we will not bow to you and i saw that devotion and some of you sitting here i've seen that as you go through struggles Joan and petrie i've seen a wonderful devotion to the Lord. I can mention a lot of people here. I know some of you are going through things now, but their focus might be slightly off. I used the word radical devotion at the beginning. That maybe didn't resonate in your heart because you knew. You knew Jesus would speak to you now. That wouldn't be the case. And you might have good reasons why not. But this afternoon, it's not about the reasons why not, or why it's not happening. This afternoon, it's about running to him and say, God, you are my all in all. Nothing else, nothing else matters. And help me tomorrow, Lord. And help me in four days' time. And help me in a week's time. And help me in a year's time. And help me in 10 decades' time that I can be like Uncle Stan. And that 60 years later, someone else can testify and say, I saw that man 60 years passionately serving God. And now when he's turning 90, I'm still seeing him here serving God. That, that will be said of us, each and every one of us. Here's a room of what we're close to 200 people. Imagine 200 radical people for Jesus. Reflecting Him, beholding Him, radically devoted to Him, reflecting Him. We don't need a building to attract people. Because the people are seeing something of the life of Jesus. doesn't mean our lives are perfect. It might look like we're still in jail there, still, in the, still beaten up. It's like, yeah, life is giving me shots and I'm I'm up. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship God irrespective of how I'm feeling here. And something of Jesus is reflected. And people are getting saved because of that. Worship team. Not. <laughs> I truly trust that you would have heard the Lord speak this afternoon and that you'd feel. A sense of the Holy Spirit just luring you back to a pure and sincere radical devotion to Jesus. And um, what I want us to do now is we might minister for specific things later on. We'll see what the Holy Spirit does. But I don't want you to stand and respond to something I'm going to ask. We're going to worship now. And I want you to say, Lord, show me. I've been caught up in some of the screens am i running slightly off do i have chameleon eyes is my devotion a bit skew is my devotion a bit lame if that's the case lord i'm i want to repent and can we come with a sense of repentance and a sense of returning to the lord and a sense of in a sense rededicating ourselves to him Where we say lord nothing else nothing else And I know in one sense, this is not a very practical message. I believe I highlighted some practical angles that could help us. But it's not about the practical. It's not about me crossing the I's and crossing the T's and dotting the I's. It's about each one of us saying, Lord, come speak to me. Come speak to me this afternoon. You my measuring, not Kevin's message. Not what I think is right where I think I am. None of that is the measure. You are. So would you speak to me by your Spirit? And I'm slightly off, I want to repent. If I've given myself to something. I, I want to, if I thought that I was a good enough excuse, forgive me, Lord. I will return. Amen.